Okay, okay, I'm gonna leave. But I'm gonna tell you one thing before I go. Don't you ever refer to me as your girl again. What in God's name are you talking about? Dorlita, what are we gonna do about this chair? I'll tell you what I'm talking about. I'm no girl. I'm a woman. Do you hear me? I'm not your wife or your mother. Or even your mistress. What? Mm -mm. I am your employee. And as such, I expect to be treated equally. With a little dignity and a little respect. What do you mean, mistress? Never mind. She's just a little upset. Dorley, just come off it, for God's sake. The whole company knows you two are having an affair. Who's been saying we're having an affair? Who's been saying it? He has. What? Violet, where are you going? I'm going to get drunk. At a girl. So you've been telling everybody I'm sleeping with you, huh? No. Well, not. that explains it. That's why these people treat me like some dime store no, floozy. No, they think not. I'm screwing the boss. That's not it at all. Oh, and you just love it, don't you? It gives you some sort of cheap thrill, like knocking over pencils and picking sure, up papers. Now, let's don't get excited. Get your scummy hands off of me. Look, I've been straight with you from the first day I got here, and I put up with all your pinching and staring and chasing me around the desk because I need this job, but this is the last straw. Look, all right, now, wait. Let's, let, let's just sit down and... Look, I got a gun out there in my purse, huh. and up to now I've been forgiven and forgetting because of the way I was brought up, but I'll tell you one thing. If you ever say another word about me or make another indecent proposal, I'm going to get that gun of mine. And I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. <laughs> Don't think I can't do it. Hello, movie viewers and movie lovers. My name is Tim Williams, and I'm your host for the 80s Flig Flashback Podcast where we talk about all the great and sometimes not-so-great movies from the 1980s. From blockbusters to cult classics to lesser-known treasures we discovered on cable TV or the now-defunct video rental stores from our childhood. No matter what flick we choose from week to week, we'll have a lot of fun sharing memories, discussing our favorite scenes, and even learning some behind-the-scenes stories about the cast and crew along the way. So let's jump right into today's episode. Thanks for listening. Renowned film critic Roger Ebert called this well-beloved 80s flick a good-hearted, simple-minded comedy that will win a place in film history. He suspected it was primarily because it contained the movie debut of Dolly Parton. He stated there have been other debuts this unmistakable. You could name Marilyn Monroe, James Dean, and even John Travolta. And what you'd be talking about in each case would not necessarily be a great dramatic performance in an important movie, but more about a quality of presence, a personal life force that seems to take over the screen. In the tradition of the 1940s screwball comedies, this cult classic is composed of improbable events happening to people who are merely comic characters instead of fully developed characters. But like those 40s movies, it also has a dash of social commentary that can still be discussed and debated today. So tumble out of bed and stumble to the kitchen, pour yourself a cup of ambition, then yawn and stretch and try to come to life as Laramie and Bethany Wells join me to discuss 9 to 5 from 1980 on this episode of the 80s flick flashback. Atta girl. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Welcome, Bethany and Laramie, the dynamic duo. We get double for our trouble on this episode lots as we of discuss trouble, lots of trouble. <laughs> this uh, this fun movie. I think it, I, I think Roger Ebert was a little harsh, but 
Simple-minded. I would not describe this movie as simple-minded at all. It's, no. It's got, I mean, yes, it's got that light-hearted comedy to it, but mm-hmm. um, the commentary that it ha- that it makes is um, pretty heavy and really still very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Timely. It, timely, yeah. Not timely. Very... Um, Current. Current. It you can have it you're you we're still having these discussions today. Yeah, definitely. And we'll have some of those discussions, I guess, a little bit later, uh, as we dig dig deep into it. But mm-hmm. uh welcome. Glad to have you both back for this episode and uh let's jump right in. When did you see nine to five for the very first time? It was a I mean, probably not extremely long ago for me. I really don't think I saw it until college or after college. Um, just wasn't on my radar until yeah. it was something I think I watched with my stepmom was a big fan and okay. we watched it probably I was probably in middle school or high school when we watched it together and you know the scene that always sticks out to everybody is the the scene where they all sit around and smoke pot um, <laughs> and that's literally anybody anytime you would t- I would talk to somebody about that movie that's the mm-hmm. scene that would end up getting discussed but wow that's funny. and then Laramie and I almost three years ago we were in a production of the musical right nine to five so yeah this was one of those so this came out in 1980 uh and I think I mentioned in, in one of the previous episodes that you know back then uh when you in cable we HBO was like the only cable you know movie channel back then and they only played PG movies during the daytime so there was no R-rated movies until like nine o'clock at night so of course having you know not as many rights to to play movies you just see the same movies over and over and over again so this is one of those that was just on like if not every day every other day and as a kid that when you get home from school at three o'clock and wait for your parents to get home what do you watch? Well, here's a PG movie. Must be safe. So we'll watch nine to five. It's got Dolly Parton. I mean, I knew who Dolly Parton was. That was ma- so. that was Mannequin for me. Okay, mannequin yeah, that's what I watched. Yeah, yeah, I could. Yeah, Mannequin was pretty heavy on the cable as well. So, <laughs> yeah. but what's funny is like when that scene come came on with them smoking pot, I was like, I you know, as a kid, went right over my head. Had no clue Same. what yeah. they were even talking about. So. Uh, it's just funny how going back and watching some of these movies now, w- knowing that I watched them as a, you know, at that point I was, this probably was came out like 82, 83. So I was just under 10 maybe. So, you know, uh, I'm, I'm sure most of that stuff I blocked out too, as I got older, but it went way over my head to even know what they were well, talking about. And that about, was so. my thing when we did the musical, you know, there were a lot of scenes in the musical where I'm going, did they add that for the, for the show or was that in the mm-hmm. movie? And, and it wasn't until after doing it, because I didn't remember it. I mean, like I said, mm-hmm. this movie, you know, hasn't really been, it's not really one of my top ones that I'd say I'd seen over and over again. Right, right. And so, yeah, to go back and rewatch it after I had done the musical, to go, oh, wow, I just totally forgot that that was <laughs> in this movie. Honestly, you right. saying it was PG made me just, floored well, me just now. It was I, before I know it's PG-13, because it was before yeah. PG-13. Yeah, exactly, yeah. But still, with the content in it, I'm just like, oof. Yeah. Wow. See, now see now you think of PG, you think of, you definitely think of like a kid's movie. Like, right. it's going to be fairly safe, you know, family-friendly. This right. was much more of an adult comedy. I mean, it wasn't, you know, dirty in any way, or, you know, it wasn't, you know, uh, didn't go that far. But it had those. But once again, back then, that PG, PG-13, this is kind of in that, in that realm a little bit. Probably not as... You know, much as Gremlins and 
Temple of Doom. Uh, yeah. But still, once again, but for a kid, a lot of that stuff went over my head. And I think because you had those little cartoon characters during the fantasy sequences, like those yeah. are the those are the scenes that I remembered the most. Yeah. But They're as a kid, that's, that, yeah, that's that's what that's what's going to appeal to me as a kid is seeing Lily Tomlin dressed up like Snow White and <laughs> right. these cartoon characters following her around. It's like, oh, that must be like a Disney movie. Yeah, it was always yeah. heart hanging from the ceiling. Yes. It was always <laughs> yeah. stuck with Well, yeah. um, put me down for parent of the year, but I was watching this with our seven-year-old um, <laughs> a little bit ago, and <laughs> she was just like, is she Snow White? What? Why do they keep right. wanting to kill her? Kill their boss, Mom? And I was like, he's... He's an egotistical, maniacal, sexist pig. It's fine. Bigot. Bigot. Excuse me. Bigot. Right. How long had it been since you saw it? I I guess you both saw it fairly recently, but so you watched it again right before you did the nine to five stage production? I think after or even during was when we did it. I don't think I did though. Maybe not. I think you did. I don't. I did. Because because I, I always have this thing about if I'm. Playing a character that's been played before, mm-hmm. once I'm casted, I actually don't like to watch other performances of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, think, I can see that. I think I did, but that was because, um, here's a little information about me. Um, I had just <laughs> had Lily in the middle of rehearsals for 9 to 5. So I auditioned, and I was nine months pregnant. And the last show was the day before I went back to work on maternity leave. So I had a lot of time at home during the mm-hmm. day to watch it. And so I did. <laughs> All right. So they, they're not, I know this, but they don't, the, our listeners don't know. So what roles did you guys play in the stage production? I was Mr. Hart. And I was Mrs. Hart. Oh, nice. <laughs> Larry had a much larger role because you were on the cruise for, you know, six weeks or three months. What was it? Yeah. <laughs> Yes, it, I was. I I was on some sort of vacation. Yeah. Or, no, it even, was a cruise. Yeah, because even the in the play, the play, the movie still has a much bigger part for Miss Hart. Yeah, than the, play. the musical oh, really? okay. yeah. is. Um, Mrs. Hart walks out right after he makes the move on Dora Lee for the first time yeah. that we've seen. Gotcha. So just like in the movie when he's, you know... She walks in and they're on the floor and she goes, what What are you doing right. on the floor? <laughs> yeah. And then and she doesn't show up again until the prologue. Yeah, she doesn't... epilogue, they, Yeah, they don't do... Oh, okay. in, the, in the play, they don't do where she is the one who Let's comes home go. early and finds okay. him and lets him go. They don't do that. So she doesn't show up again in the show until the little prologues where it's saying what epilogue, happened. Yeah. Or yeah, epilogue, oh, okay. me, where it's saying what happened to all the characters. Gotcha. It's actually, she actually gets a very happy ending. In the musical, she ends up being Roz. They, they end mm-hmm. up together. They oh, fall okay. in love and get married. <laughs> yeah, it's a different take on it for uh-huh. sure. I watched it a couple of years ago. Um, this is one, once again, I'm kind of like Laramie, like, if I hadn't have seen it like pop up on, you know, movies to watch or recommended movies, I probably wouldn't have thought about it. It's not something that, I, you know, every couple of years, but I also think, I think about three years ago when I was doing my research, I remembered that they were, there was a lot of talks about it being remade or doing a reboot. Uh, it's kind of fallen through now, but I think I saw something in the entertainment news about doing a remake. And I was like, Oh, I remember nine to five. I remember watching that as a kid. And then it popped up on one of my streaming channels or, you know, cable channels. And I was like, oh, I really want to watch it. I haven't watched it in a long time. And so I watched it again. I really enjoyed it. And I think maybe a month or two after that is when I heard you guys were doing 9 to 5 uh, at the local theater. So 
I was like, oh, how perfect timing. Unfortunately, I didn't make it to see the performance of nine to five of the theater. And I'm still kicking myself now because I didn't get a chance to see it. Um, so, yeah, so it's so I had seen it about, I guess, three years ago was when you guys did it. So I guess about three years ago. How old is before Lily? I watched so, yeah, she'll years. be three in April. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, cool. Well, let's jump right into the story origin and pre-production. So uh, this was kind of fun. Do you guys know much about the history of the, the story? I've heard a little bit. I listened to this podcast called You Must Remember This, and mm-hmm. she did this deep dive on Jane Fonda. Okay. And so I know a little bit, not a ton, but a little bit. Okay. Well, you can fill in any holes that I may, may have missed because there wasn't a whole lot of uh, information on this, but still some interesting stuff. So, uh, of course, mentioned Jane Fonda. The film was based on her idea. She had recently formed her own production company. Fonda said her ideas for films always came from things that she hears or perceives in her daily life. A friend of hers had started an organization in Boston called 9 to 5, which was an association of women office workers. She heard them talking about their work and they had some great stories. So she took those stories, combined them with their love for oldies, old 1940s films with three female stars to pitch the overall, overall concept for the film. Fonda says the film was at first going to be a drama, but anyway they did it, it seemed too preachy with too much of a feminist line. So then it was rewritten as a dark comedy in which each of the secretaries actually tried to kill the boss. That didn't fly either. So Fonda had wanted to work with Lily Tomlin for some time. And after seeing Tomlin's one woman Broadway show appearing nightly, Fonda and her producing partner decided to bring Tomlin on board and make it a broad comedy instead. So, And she wasn't interested in Dolly Parton at first. No. And then she met her, I think, to do the song. And oh, really? was just okay. like in love with her. <laughs> so I guess they started working on the on the script and then Colin Higgins, who was the director, uh, came on and he began to rewrite the uh, dark comedy script they had written that was written by Patricia Resnick. And he said part of his job was to make room for all three of the characters in the script. And he said that Jane Fonda was a very encouraging producer who allowed him to push back production while the script was being rewritten. And I did see an article with uh, the original screenwriter and she said that it was kind of hard for her because once he came on board, she had no more control of the script. So he basically took and said, I don't write with anybody else. This is, you know, I'm going to I'm going to take it from there. So she said she has spent a lot of time with once again, I'm sure as a drama, it was probably a lot more uh, personal to her. And then for him to kind of make it more of a broad comedy kind of lost some of that in the process. So but Dolly Parton said of Higgins that he was a very nice quiet, low-key guy, and she said, I don't know what I've done if I'd had one of those mean directors on my first film, because this was her very first film, so. Like she didn't steal Magnolias. Yeah, yeah, which is a whole nother, we'll get, we'll get there, we'll get there, <laughs> but steal Magnolias. So uh, Higgins admitted he expected some tension from working with three stars, but they were totally professional, great fun, and a joy to work with. So to prepare for her role as Julie Burney, a middle-aged divorcee entering the workforce, Jane Fonda interviewed numerous women who had entered the workforce late in life due to divorce or widowhood. It inspired Judy's first day outfit, the frilly conservative wardrobe with oversized glasses, elaborate hats, and an overdone hairstyle. Uh Uh, Fonda said, what I found was that the secretaries know the work they do is important. They're skilled, but they also know they're not treated with respect. They call themselves office wives. They have to put gas in the boss's car, get the coffee, buy the presents for the wife and mistress. So when we came to do the film, we said to Colin, okay, what you have to do is write a screenplay that shows you can run an office without a boss, but you can't run an office without the secretaries. I think they accomplished that. 
uh, speaking as a secretary in an office. Okay. Um, Please do. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, all of that, very true. And honestly, watching it, even though it was from the early 80s and mm-hmm. definitely before I entered the workforce, there's some of it where you just go like, oh, really? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so this is not changed at all. Right. Gotcha. I, I can't speak on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Laramie's there for moral support. Like, yes. I've, I've, yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, let's talk a little bit about the casting. So we've talked a little bit about the stars already, but most of the time, writers already have a particular actor in mind when they pin a script for a film or TV show. However, getting the actor to play the role is a whole other thing. The uh, original screenwriter Resnick told Rolling Stone, we had Jane for sure because it was her idea to do the film and it was her production company. But it was written for Dolly and Lily, but we did not have them under contract. We really wanted them, but we did not have some backup. But we did have some backup ideas in case they turned down the role. She had Dolly, Lily, and Jane in her head the whole time. So do you know who the alternates were? Oh, I'm desperate to find out. Okay. So imagine Carol Burnett as office supervisor Violet Newstead and Anne Margaret as put upon assistant Dora Lee Rhodes opposite Jane Fonda's housewife turned secretary julie burnley that was the backup plan if jane didn't get her first choice actor i don't know about ann margaret as much but because how old was ann margaret around that time i think she would have been the older older one of that bunch but either i mean obviously she's a gorgeous lady um oh yeah right (laughs) but but again we're talking about you know viva las vegas was in the 60s um, she was born in 41, so she, so she would have been, been in her 40s. She would have been early 40s. Yeah. But um, she probably didn't look like she was in her 40s, though. No, she, no, because she's She's, no. she's always looked a little younger than she is. So. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, Carol Burnett, that would have been... I Honestly, I love the cast that's in it now. Yeah. But if yeah. they could have just made another movie exactly the same with, with Carol Burnett instead of Lily Tomlin, Ooh, that would have Carol Burnett's been... the older one. Really? Yeah. For her. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Carol Burnett would have been approaching. She would have been in her late forties. Yeah, uh, that works better this is, for this. The for segment. The of, this the segment of the show called Laramie Googles. Yeah, um, <laughs> but and he's allowed. No, he's a guest co-host. Carol Burnett. Yeah, would have been great. I think Lily. And again, Lily Tomlin. T- Lily Tomlin was amazing, and she yeah. was she was right for the time. Yeah. Too. Right. Right. Because in the eighties, I mean, she was she was in the height of her. Uh, stand-up comedy is one of the big mm-hmm. female stand-up comics of the time and um you know everything oh and again i just i know i've brought this up in uh one of the episodes before but just thinking about it probably wasn't too long after this that she did uh all of me with steve martin mm-hmm. which is just mm-hmm. one of my favorite uh, yeah 80s movies. yeah well speaking of uh, lily tomlin she actually turned down the part when it was first offered to she really? was shooting, yeah, she was shooting The Incredible Shrinking Woman at the time and That's was feeling overworked. She told <laughs> The Evening Times, I'd worked for seven months on that movie, so I was ready to just shut my eyes to anything else. But my partner Jane said to me, this is the biggest mistake of your life. She said, you've got to get on the phone and tell Jane Fonda you want to take back the resignation. And she said she was grateful she did that. Lily then suggested they hire Dabney Coleman as the boss, Mr. Hart. Huh. Jane Fonda actually loved working with Dabney Coleman so much that she got him cast as her husband. In the movie on Golden Pond that came out the following, which I love was on Golden Pond. Now that's another movie that came on HBO like 
I remember that being advertised like every day, and I never watched it, and I've, I've, I've never seen it. <laughs> I, we started. Remember, we started it, Look, and we've never finished. It. Okay, so back to that podcast that I don't need to advertise on the show, but <laughs> <laughs> called "You Must Remember This." She talks right. about her relationship with her father. Uh, mm-hmm. Jane Fonda's relationship with her father, who's in on Golden Pond. Yeah, that was and like just, one of his last movies, wasn't it? it yes. That was Henry and last he, movie, yeah. I want to say he won an Oscar, mm-hmm. but he had died before. Posthumously. Yeah, so he mm-hmm. won it posthumously. And um, Jane accepted it for him. But her her working relationship with him on that movie was so strained because she she was coming into her own she had finally kind of come out from underneath that shadow of her father mm-hmm. and he he really just would not show her any respect he would do a scene with her and he'd immediately walk off he wouldn't give her anything and she just had this moment where she broke down and Katherine Hepburn came up to her and like consoled her Katherine Hepburn didn't like her either um, but she consoled her and said, yeah, Spencer Tracer, Spencer Tracy ta- treated me like that on movies and it would drive mm. me nuts. But this wow. is not a podcast about on Golden Pond. No. So I apologize. That's yeah. <laughs> okay. So I, I don't know if that one will ever get to that one. So it's a little bonus, uh, for this episode. So. You should. It's Wait, really good. Yeah. I, one day, maybe I'll get around to watching it. I so. have it on DVD. <laughs> Once Laramie watches it, we'll let you borrow it. Yeah. Oh, there you go. He looks so excited even thinking about it. It's a really good movie. I'm sure it is. Again, I remember you and I starting it and we never finished. But back to nine to five. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. (laughs) So uh, still talking about casting. Dolly Parton was already a huge country superstar in the years leading up to the film. Nine to five, as we said, was actually her first outing as Hollywood as a Hollywood movie star. The closest Dolly had ever come to film a film set was taking the tour at Universal Studios theme park. But after hearing her sing on the radio, Jane knew she'd found her Dora Lee. In a 1980 interview with Today, Fonda shared that when the film's tone shifted from drama to comedy, the idea of casting Parton arose. Although she was the new kid on the block, Parton wasn't new to contract negotiations. And boy, was she savvy. She agreed to take the part only if she could write the theme song for the movie as well. The song became a hit, and in 1981, she earned an Oscar nomination for Best Original Song. Parton made the same deal for almost every other movie in which he had starred. The exception was Still Magnolias, which declined to use the Parton pen song Eagle When She Flies. Dolly Parton is a national treasure. Um, <laughs> with her, just, she's well, just, perfection you know, on a plate. Not that long ago, Netflix had the documentary mm-hmm. about yeah. her. And just to find out just how much she you know is involved in her own career and that mm-hmm. she Which didn't is so unheard of she, yeah, for a woman she didn't rely on even anyone now to sometimes do it for her or to show her how to do it she mm-hmm. figured everything out right yeah well speaking of the song lily tomlin remembered the day dolly came out on set and played the song nine to five for the cast when she sang it acapella while using her fingernails as percussion uh tomlin said she just thought the movie is going to make it because the song was going to make it in fact those are Dolly's fingernails tapping as part of the percussion section in the final recording of the hit song. Yeah, that's actually, I, if I remember right, that was how she she says in the documentary the way she, that she actually uh, pitched the song was she mm-hmm. she tapped her fingernails together. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think is, yeah. 
just back to that documentary, finding out that when she wrote I Will Always Love You, Elvis Presley had wanted to buy the song from her, Hmm. but she said that she would not sell it to him just because part of that negotiation meant she could never claim the song as her own. Oh, wow. Okay. It it was going to be sold. It it would have to be an Elvis song Mm -hmm. and she could never claim it. And she goes, I wanted Elvis to sing my song so bad, but I could not (laughs) give up the rights to my song. She gave them to uh, Whitney Houston and she did just fine with it. (laughs) So in preparation for a role as Dora Lee Rhodes, Dolly not only committed to memory her own part, but the parts of every other role in the film. That's what she thought she had to do. Apparently, the two more experienced experienced actresses burst out laughing when Dolly told told them that she believed that movies were filmed in the chronological order of a film script. So we, we know is not the case. <laughs> so it just goes to show how green she was on set. But I will say, going back, I, I didn't know this was her first film until I was doing tell. the research after watching it because I was like, she was she seemed a natural from the beginning. There's a few scenes where you can tell she's you know, maybe just struggling a little bit, but she holds her own pretty well. So Mm, she, I just, I adore Dolly Parton. Oh yeah. She's just, and she's always so professional Mm -hmm. and she's one of those people where I don't think it, I think it took a little too long for people to realize how incredible she was. Mm -hmm. It seemed like she's always been incredible, but there was a, when those fires occurred in mm-hmm. her hometown area. Right. And she really stepped up. And that's when people really started to take notice and take her seriously. Mm-hmm. And, by, I mean, by that point, she had been in the spotlight for 50 years. But that's when finally <laughs> people noticed, like, hey, yeah. maybe she's not just a, a bimbo with big boobs that sings pretty songs. Oh, yeah. I think she's had, uh, and my wife found this out. This was before that, but... Uh, when our daughter was really little, we found out that she donates like so many, yeah. so much money yeah. to the local library. Her um, father was illiterate and she didn't right. want that to continue. She she has a program for people in very low income areas mm-hmm. where if you sign your child up for it, she will send a free book to that child right. every month. I think it's Seaverville, Tennessee. If you've ever been to Dollywood or that area, that's one of our favorite vacation spots. So um not sponsored by this podcast, but it can be. So see, reveal, let us hey. know. <laughs> or Dollywood, even better. We'll, we'll hey. gladly advertise Dollywood on the podcast. So. Dear Dolly. Right. We talked some really <laughs> nice things about you on our podcast. Can you please give us money? Thank you. Yes, exactly. So go, ahead and, go ahead and type that up. Uh, <laughs> we'll do. I'm on it. <laughs> not that I'm giving you secretary duties like my boss. <laughs> just as it, as it came out of my mouth, I was like, that may not be the most appropriate yeah. thing to say on the podcast. So... I'll gladly type it up myself. Okay, moving on. <laughs> as long as you don't scream at me to get you coffee, we'll be fine. No, no. I don't want any rat poison in my coffee anyway, so I'll go. <laughs> Comic books have been around for almost a century, and in the last two decades, we've finally gotten to see many of these characters brought to life in movies and on TV. On the Moving Panels podcast, we discuss movies and TV shows based on, inspired by, and adapted from the world of comic books. Join me and my guests as we discuss both the good and the bad from Marvel, DC, and even some of the lesser-known comic book companies. Learn what is and isn't from the comics, as well as our nerdy review of the movie or show. New episodes drop every Monday, and you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. So join us for Moving Panels, and I'll see you on the other side of the page. 
So the man cast as Dora Lee's husband was actually married to a close friend of Dolly Parton and had known Dolly for quite some time. She says that's the only reason why she was able to kiss him on camera. Huh. I so. will say the fact that she's that Dora Lee is married mm-hmm. honestly is something I forget. And then mm-hmm. there's even the line that she says at the beginning when she still thinks that Hart, I mean, the very beginning, when she still thinks mm-hmm. that Hart is, you know, just really nice and sweet to her. And mm-hmm. she says something along the lines of, I've had a lot of men fawn over yeah. me or whatever she says, mm-hmm. or, yeah. you know, run, chase after me, but no one's caught me yet. And I'm going, right. But someone has caught you because you're married. <laughs> I think now. This is a little off topic from that. She kind of plays off like she thinks he's just nice. I don't think she ever thinks he's just nice. I think she is doing what she has to do to keep her job, which is what a lot of women have to do in the workplace is be nice, put on a smile and nod at the nasty, awful things (laughs) that the people around you are saying. Yeah. And then just keep moving forward. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, until I, until she realizes that until he's, until she realizes he's, he's spreading lies her about name, her. Yeah, yeah right, exactly. Thing. Yeah, because I think that line that Larry was talking about, I think that did. I think she was kind of referring to other people that, even though she's married, they're still they still trying to woo her or whatever. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I've there's been slicker guys than you that have tried and haven't you know they haven't got me. So what do you think? Why do you think you're you're going <laughs> to so be the one? Off. So yeah, right. All right, but can, so, can we talk about Dabney Coleman? Yes, go for it. Because Dabney Coleman is is amazing, he's yes. awesome, and I hate that he's not he he wasn't in more as the as the years have have gone. I know he's done things, yeah. but I just to me Dabney Coleman a staple of the eighties and yeah, yeah I really should identify him with more things than I do. Oh, yeah. he was it. You've got mail. Huh? Huh? Yeah. Yep. He yeah. I honestly think mail. the last thing I saw him in was that almost forgotten movie Domino with Kira Knightley. Oh, he was in that? Yes. I don't think I ever saw that, but Yeah. I, but yeah. I, I think that's uh, that's one of the last I mean he's still doing things, but um I thought it was dead. No, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. But no, like I remember him being We're the, sorry, Dabney. We're sorry. We we, we know you're alive. <laughs> yeah. Dear Mr. Coleman. No, yeah. I remember him I remember him being the the voice of the principal on recess. I am today okay. years old when I found out he was the voice. No, yeah, yeah. I, didn't know that. I knew he was, but I mean, I'm just thinking about this movie and Muppets Take Manhattan. Oh uh, yes, he's phenomenal yeah. in Muppets. Manhattan. Love it's one of my favorites. on Golden Pond. Uh, yeah. What? Um, <laughs> we we discussed already. But yeah, I think I mean. No, but let's go back to it. So on well, Golden. No, no, no. <laughs> but then then you got the mon- the man with one red shoe. You got yeah. cloak and dagger. You've one of got, my favorites. Yeah. Uh, Tootsie, War Games. Yep. yep. Um, all of these great, you know, 80s movies. And he was just, he was a great comedic actor. Played uh, just a superb, as he did in so many of these movies. Smarmy. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Everyone talks about uh, actors like Tom Selleck with their famous mustache. I mean, Dabney mm-hmm. Coleman <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. had a mustache. <laughs> he had that great 80s mustache. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I got to, when I was casted as Mr. Hart, I remember asking mm-hmm. the director of the musical, do you need me to grow a mustache? And at mm-hmm. first he said no. Mm-hmm. And, and then I, he saw how much Laramie sweat. Well, <laughs> and so... Um, so the director then asked me to grow the, grow the mustache, uh, but only like a month before 
we opened. Oh, yeah. Um, luckily, I grow facial hair really quickly, but I wasn't able to get, like, the full the full mustache. stash. Yeah. yeah. So I had this skinny little mustache. <clears throat> yeah. It was... I looked... I looked like a guy yeah. who you, you want to keep as far away from any female <laughs> as possible. As I say, the 80s mustaches were very full... Almost bushy, you yeah. know. Uh, Caterpillar almost... sitting on your, your lip. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I tell you what, just so that you can post a picture of it on the Facebook page, I'll send you a picture of Laramie's mustache from 9 to okay, 5. Great, great. And you can post it on Facebook and have that people rate good. rate the stash. I'll do a I'll, I'll do a side-by-side of Dabney Coleman and Laramie. Who wore and we'll better? Let them, we'll, we'll let them pick, you know, <laughs> who was the better Mr. Hart. Uh, yeah. It'll be Dabney but Coleman. But yeah, Dabney. But yeah, and, and the funny thing was, I besides him being referred by Lily Tomlin, I didn't see any notes about anyone else they were considering for the role of Mr. Hart, which him being a very central character, I'm you know, obviously, you know, he fit the bill. But like like you said, Larry, he's he was known to play those swarmy, egotistical characters. Uh and and I'll and one movie that you didn't mention that is another favorite of mine, only because once again it was when I watched on cable over and over again. But if you've never seen modern problems. With Chevy Chase, he was uh, in that. I don't know if I it's, know that one. Yeah, it's it's a real obscure. It's not one of Chevy. It's not known as one of Chevy Chase's better movies. But uh, early uh, appearance. There's a lot of, of those though. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's an early appearance of Nell Carter from Give Me a Break that she has a small role in that movie as well. So, but Dabney Coleman was the bad guy. I want to say he wasn't a boss. I think it was Chevy Chase's ex-wife. Like he was the new boyfriend. I don't know where you'll find it. You, it was on Netflix probably 10 years ago because that was the last time I watched it because uh, I saw it was on there. And, <laughs> and they uh, mailed you the DVD and you you lost their only copy of the DVD. Is yeah, that what happened? probably. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't even think it was on DVD. I think it was just back when it was on streaming. VHS. I don't think VHS. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll wait for Shout Factory to uh, to come up with a nice still book of that one. I don't think it's going to happen. But anyway, Aww. if you find Modern Problems, it's worth it's worth a watch uh, for, for Dabney Coleman lovers like us. <laughs> but speaking of typecasting characters, a lot of the character, a lot of the actors in this movie were typecast for the type of roles they'd played. Uh, Judy's evil ex-husband is played by ambiguous seven in his seventies and eighties character actor Lawrence Pressman. He was known for playing predatory office creeps. <laughs> huh. <laughs> huh? That's uh... yeah appropriate a horrible thing to be typecast exactly yeah you look like a predatory creep i want you in my movie um (laughs) you look like you would make women uncomfortable yes yes so and then elizabeth wilson who played roz was usually cast as a persnickety busybody as she was in the graduate uh henry jones as mr hinkle always played some old conservative uptight fuddy-duddy uh even lily tomlin had played some crazy and eccentric uh, women as well in films like Big Business and The Incredible Shrinking Woman. Uh, Jane Fonda, however, was playing against type for this movie. She usually played an outspoken firecracker in films like The China Syndrome, They Shoot Horses, Don't They? And as Bethany remembers so fondly on Golden Pond. <laughs> <laughs> but in this movie, she plays a conservative mousy frump who pretty much stays the stays that way throughout the whole movie except in the confrontation scene at Hart's mansion when she tells her lecherous ex-husband off. That's her one Jane Fonda moment. And I was actually reading some of the reviews and some of the reasons why the critics didn't like the movies because they felt that Lily Tomlin and Jane Fonda's characters were like they were miscast. They thought that (laughs) Jane Fonda should have been more feisty, I guess, character. And Tomlin is more the mousy character, which I I don't know. I like the way it is. I could see that a little, but... 
I think Jane Fonda did a really good job. I I I like her a lot in movies. Mm-hmm. She's such a great actress, and she doesn't she doesn't get a lot of the credit, especially not them that she deserves because she she studied. Um, mm-hmm. She studied a lot because she had to come out from the shadow of her dad. Right. Um, right. And he, he, you know, she she works really hard. And I think Lily Tomlin, it was nice watching her be kind of a straight, per- like a straight man yeah. mm-hmm. for once. Yeah. yeah and yeah. I think, yes, Jane Fonda could have played Violet, mm-hmm. but Lily mm-hmm. Tomlin, I don't think, could have played at least to the, she, the yeah, same. she would have, but it would have been, 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 been a different character. take. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Well, since we're speaking, so speaking of the characters, did you have a favorite? Was there, besides Mr. Hart, because I know Larry's going to pick <laughs> Mr. Hart, but of the ladies, was there a favorite uh, character in the movie? I've always been a fan of Dora Lee. Yeah. Um, I think part of that is she she has this quality about her where she's sweet, she's great, she's funny, she's kind, but then she's got this underlying like don't mess with her. Mm-hmm. You, you right. can't don't. And I have a lot of female relatives that she reminds me of, and yeah. and it's a person I strive to be of like. On the outside, on the surface, I'm as sweet as can be. I will do anything you need me to do. I'm great. But if you mess with me, I'm going to come back and you're going to regret it. <laughs> I'm taking notes. Good to know. Yeah. All right. So, Larry, what about you? Yeah, I, I agree. I think Dora Lee, I think it's it's uh, Dolly Parton just made that character, I, I don't know if I'd say iconic, but it sticks out as, mm-hmm. you know, kind of the role you really remember, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, out of that. I think she's she's kind of it kind of helped solidify her as even a bigger entertainer because uh, I agree I didn't know until much later that that was her first movie role mm-hmm. um, you know because she she's just she's so good in it right um, right right and so I, I do think whereas uh, nothing against Lily Tomlin or Jane Fonda but I think a lot of the dynamics between their characters as the story progresses could be kind of interchanged. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, Dolly and the Dorley character is just like, again, this, this character, and this is the storyline we're getting for this character. And well, it's kind of like Lily Tomlin and Jane Fonda, they had to grow. Their characters mm-hmm. had to learn something. They had to get better. Dolly Parton just needed people to know that she wasn't a hussy. <laughs> right. Like right. she was fine. Mm-hmm. She didn't have any growth she needed to do. She was a good person from the mm-hmm. get-go, which I, I I have a lot of admiration. She's who I strive to be as a secretary. Just really good at my job. I agree. I mean, it's, this is Dolly Parton's film. Once again, it, it's it's what... This was her breakout role, even though it was her very first role. Mm-hmm. But And once again, not taking anything away from Jane Fonda or Lulu Tomlin, because I think they're all great. But just she stands out because... The other two were pretty much already well established at this point, and you knew what they could do. And then here comes Dolly Parton on the scene that kind of matches their charisma and star power. So of course she's gonna she's gonna stand out. So, but I, like you said, I think in some way Dolly Parton was kind of playing herself. She she kept her southern you know roots, and the husband was a country singer, yeah. even though that's not really Dolly Parton, but you know the country singing roots and. I think even at the end of the, the very end of yeah. the movie, because the epilogue end it says movie, she say became she a famous on. country western yeah. singer. So it's like yeah. it, you know, perf- once again written for her. So they 
they used her strengths, which only made her performance even better. They didn't make her play something completely different of who she is, which is why it comes across as being so genuine. So I'm with you guys. Dolly wins. Dolly wins the prize. Yay. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, talk about favorite scenes. So who wants to go first? I will because it's going to be everyone's. Um, it's going to be... <laughs> It's going to be the scene where they smoke pot and fantasize <laughs> about how they're going to kill Hart. Okay, but which one's your favorite fantasy? Oh, which one's my favorite fantasy? That's going to have yeah. to be Lily Tomlin's. I mean, yeah. I just, I love her preempt to it where she was like, it's got to be something, you know, har- like a fairy tale where it's horrible and gory and dark, but cute. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. For me, it, it's probably not so much a scene as it is a moment. Okay. And it's when uh, Dorley actually confronts Hart after finding out mm-hmm. what he's been mm-hmm. saying about her. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I'm honestly trying to think of the line. Because uh, it was it was my favorite in the show when we did the Where musical, she gonna, too. She's going to change gonna it from a rooster to a hen. A rooster to a hen, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I just, I like that. You know, just her really just letting him have it like there was mm-hmm. like bethany was saying you know there's she just look this is me and oh and, wait you told people about uh about us in a way that's not true i'm right. gonna prove you wrong right here right now mm-hmm. and like let me no set you straight right now it. yeah we're all from the south we all have that aunt or mother who <laughs> you know sweet as sugar one minute mm-hmm. and then you cross that line right Right. Everybody's got a line that, that you don't cross. <laughs> but yeah, I think the, the, the fantasy scenes are my favorite. And it's a toss-up for me between Lily Tomlin's because I think, once again, as a kid, that was the one that stuck out to me the most. But going back and watching it now, I love Dolly's scene where she's the one that's, you know, trying to trying to woo him and he's trying to, you know, once again, shows Dabney so Coleman's range yeah. where he's playing Mr. Innocent which I thought was just so great during that scene where he's like, well, no, I don't, you know, I'm a married man. You can't do that to me. And it, you know, it, it was so fun. It so. made me so uncomfortable. Well, and another, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> another great thing is you realize that all three of their fantasies somewhat come true. Yeah, exactly. Yep. You yep. know, she, uh, Lily Tom, Violet does quote unquote poison. Poison. Him, or she, well, she puts, she puts in the coffee whether yeah. they drink it or not. Yeah. yeah he doesn't drink it, but, it's still, she it's about to. to happen. Judy does use the gun mm-hmm. on Hart, and she fires it, just doesn't shoot him. Yeah. And Dora Lee hogties yeah. Uh, yeah. Hart. So they're all three of their fantasies do come true. Mm-hmm. It's it's a good movie. It's yeah. It's got a happy ending. <laughs> and and I want to say when I read that, like, those, the, the fantasy scenes became fantasy scenes because in the dark comedy script, those are the ways they were actually going to try to kill him. So those were, you know, if it was going to be more the dark comedy, that's what they were going to kind of the scenarios, probably not in the fantasy wise, but tied up, shot or poisoned. They each had their own way of 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 uh, doing Mr. Hart in. So I know we don't talk about it too much, but is there a least favorite scene or a scene that you felt didn't fit or didn't work? I think the the hospital scene mm-hmm. with the the confusion of the dead body. Yeah, I think. I don't. I don't mind it being in the movie. I think it's drug out a little bit too much. Yeah. I think it yeah. gets too much of that, almost like a sitcom slapstick trope. Mm-hmm. So, um, for me, it's that just because it just seemed like they they were pushing it 
pushing the slapstick and comedy like they too went, hard in it. We need this movie to be about 10 minutes longer. So we're going <laughs> to add this yeah. scene in here. Yeah. And that, that was, ex- that was the scene that I was thinking of when I asked that question. Cause that was, that's the scene. Like even when it, even going back, I remember watching it the first time, you know, or not the first time, but the last time two, three years ago. And then this weekend. And I was like, I don't, I'm like, why are they doing this? Like, it doesn't seem like it fits the, the memories of the rest of the movie. Like that scene, seems so unnecessary with her putting the body in the in the car and yeah. then the cop pulling him over it like I said it's a much longer scene than it needs to be i'm fine with him thinking he's dead right i'm having that right. whole moment but yeah the then trying to sneak the body out and putting it in the the trunk and mm-hmm. then getting pulled over by the cop and it just it dragged out which they do shorten that in the in the, the musical, musical. Um, right. It's, it's like much... they find the dead body, they start to wheel him out, and then they open it before they even leave the hospital, and they go, oh, that's that's not... Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's hard to have a car chase scene in a Broadway musical, probably, I would yeah, think. No, so. I mean, it's happened before. <laughs> I will say, though, I do like the final little uh, bit where... They've left the body uh-huh. in the bathroom, and then we the, oh another, yeah, yeah. yeah. left a stiff in the bathroom again. Yeah. The the cleaning lady or whoever she was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, like it's something that happens all the time. <laughs> but what was funny, was and this why. just shows, yeah, why it's been a while since I saw it. But when when that scene started and she goes in the bathroom, I was like, did they put him on the toilet? Is that what is that they're going to find him? Like they're going into you know maybe there's just a funnier scene in my brain instead of him just being in the wheelchair in the middle. The middle of the bathroom, but they would just sat him on the toilet. I thought that would have been even funnier, but you know. Well, I mean, Dolly Parton's a strong lady, but I don't think she's strong enough to put a <laughs> put a dead guy on a toilet. Well, no, well, yeah, I guess they got him in the back of the car somehow. That's true. Getting in the back of the car was just Lily Tomlin just pushing him right off of the gurney into the trunk. I, it's yeah. you don't see how they got it, how they got the body out. Yeah, out. exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, you miss all of that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, well, moving right along, let's talk a little bit about some behind-the-scenes uh, trivia. So got a few of these we'll, we'll run through here, and then we'll start to wrap things up. I thought it was fun that uh, Lily Tomlin ad-libbed the line about Judy's big hat needing its own locker at work. <laughs> she, she claimed it was her only ad-lib, but comments made by other castmates over the years suggest that they may have not been the case. So I did think that was a funny line about, we have to get a locker for your hat. I just it made me feel so bad for her because I mean you I've been there where you're you're new and you don't know what yeah. to do and you show up and you're right. all decked out and everybody else is not. That also reminded me this in that same uh, where she's being introduced to everybody when she's introduced mm-hmm. to Dora Lee and um, Jane Fonda actually like checks her like she mm-hmm. she's looking at her own chest uh, <laughs> per se. I yeah, because she looks at she she meets Doralee and then she's like, oh, um. <laughs> I knew I left something at home. Yeah. Um. <laughs> uh, 
talking about yeah, your, your, the anxiety of first day of a new job, you're what to wear, especially for a job. It's like, I don't want to go overdressed and people think I'm trying to be the boss, but I don't want to come underdressed where I look like a slob. So it's like trying to find yeah. that happy meeting. Yeah. So, uh, and then she uh, had never worked before. Right, so. right. So I thought that was it's just precious. Fun. Yeah, that, that's always my, my thing. I started a new school a couple of years ago. And when mm. you go for that first teacher work day, you're like, "Is am I allowed to dress oh, down yeah. for the teacher work day? <laughs> yeah. Or do I have to dress like I'm still teaching even though we're right. just, yeah. So it's always that okay. uncertainty of. You wake up like, okay, is it tie today or basketball shorts? Which way are we going for today? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Somewhere in the middle. <laughs> yeah. Basketball shorts and the tie. I cover, cover, cover there both you go. Places, There you so. go. There you go. Well, speaking of wardrobe, Dolly Parton, uh, quote unquote, bought nearly her entire wardrobe from the film, and she has them all displayed in her museum at Dollywood. So once again, Who thank you, Who else fit into it? <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, she, I, I don't want to, you know, sound bad about this, but right. she is uniquely proportioned. Yes, it's true. You paid good money to be that proportion. Because, I mean, you know, we, we talk about the thing that everybody talks about, but also her waist. Like, She's got a mm-hmm. teeny waist. Yeah. She, she has to be, like, she clothes she has have to be, like, to be made for her. She has to be, like, oh, yeah, Barbie definitely. doll shaped. Like, she is literally a backwards Barbie. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a song. That's the name of a song she's back, backyards money. Oh, it is backwards okay. Barbie. Backwards Barbie. Backwards Barbie. Sorry. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry that that joke wasn't um, it's received well. So no, it's a real song she sang. It's too. also in the musical. Yeah, it's also in the musical. But oh, okay. I just I figured to make that joke land a little better, I would explain that's a song. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. You're so. welcome. It's always funnier when you have to explain it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Dolly Parton's almost shy and reclusive husband, Carl Dean, never appears in public with her, nor accompanies her to any musical concerts or other events. One of the few times he made an exception was during the filming of this movie because it was her first movie. When he walked into the studio, Jane Fonda pointed him out across the room and said, look at that handsome man. I call him. He's mine. She said that to Lily Tomlin. Dolly then spilled the beans that he was actually her husband. And after a few minutes conversing together, Dolly told them about being married to him and introduced him to the other actresses. When Jane heard Dolly's remark, she was extremely and deeply embarrassed, especially after she made the remark to Lily as if she was out, quote unquote, husband hunting. So. <laughs> well, thanks. Be curious to see what Carl Dean looks like. Well, you know, it, it wasn't too long after that documentary that I found mm-hmm. out that one of the ways that you could almost say that their relationship has lasted is because he's not a public figure right and they're never seen quote unquote mm-hmm. uh in public because she doesn't dolly herself up mm-hmm. and they go out all the time and no one knows it's her right right because the dolly wears we know, wigs yeah. yeah is so much yeah. of a character mm-hmm. um and so yeah it's that's just fascinating part of their life yeah I want to say if not, it hasn't been that long ago, but a few years ago, maybe within the last five or six years ago, that a picture of him leaked or like she showed a picture of him somewhere. If you know someone got to see what he looks like, and a lot of people remarked at how much of a handsome man that he was, that you know everybody thought that she was the catch, and she was like, "No, really, but no, he was the catch. That he was better than <laughs> she deserved." So it's out there on the interwebs somewhere, I'm sure. So we uh, mentioned earlier about the themes of sexism in the workplace were all very timely in the 1980s, but there was also this 1980 was the same year the EEOC issued guidelines clarifying that sexual harassment 
is unlawful under Title VII, though it didn't become nationally discussed issue until the Needle Hill hearings a decade later. Oh, wow. Yeah, but the thing about watching 9 to 5 today is that you realize the American workplace in 2021 is nowhere near as progressive as what we saw in the offices at the end of the movie. The gender pay gap was nearly the same in 1980 as it was in 1960. The gap narrowed in the 90s, but then stalled. If progress continues at the current rate, American women won't achieve pay equity until 2059. This is the only advanced nation in the world that doesn't provide paid parental leave. The annual cost of putting a baby in daycare typically costs more than a year's tuition in a state college, one of the many factors driving some women out of the workplace. So so I'm not a woman, so Bethany, please uh, explain that to well, us. Well, and then <laughs> with COVID, when COVID came yeah. around, it became even worse for right. women because, well, you know, typically men make more. Like, mm-hmm. there is the pay gap is real. And women were choosing, quote unquote, choosing Mm -hmm. to quit working and be stay at home parents because their kids couldn't go to school. Right. Right. And kids can't go to daycares or daycares aren't safe. Mm -hmm. And so the only way to take care of children and it like a lot of women left the workforce over this Mm -hmm. last year because of COVID. So it's it's definitely getting better, but it's not we're not out of the woods. Right. Sexual harassment didn't become that wasn't a quote unquote common term really mm-hmm. until the need to heal, you know, hearings that a decade later. So it pops up in our culture uh, every couple of years or, you know, every decade or so. And then some new bigger issue, quote unquote, hits the news story and then it's, you know, forgotten about again. So. But even the other stuff at the end of the, the film that, you know, w- go back and watch again now, it's like, wow, to think about the creating your own, your own hours, the daycare center at, you know, at the workplace, make, you know, even the way it was, the office had been redesigned where it was more of a uh, comfortable place to live yeah. instead of just a bunch of cubicles, you know, thinking about, wow, in 1980, they were kind of trying to tell you how it should be in the future. And I guess besides Google or, you know, the tech companies that have, you know, slides in their, uh, in their buildings and snack bars and all that kind of stuff. Uh, the closest we had was my wife worked for a bank and we were lived in Jacksonville and they had a daycare center on property, but it wasn't in the building, but it was still a separate company and you still had to pay, but you had a discount by working at that bank. So that was the closest we had. That's actually where our daughter went to pre-K but even now you can think about the term nine to five, nobody works nine to five anymore because you don't get that hour for lunch for free. You still have, no, now it's eight to five. You've got to work a full eight hours and wait, clock out. Wait, I'm hour. a teacher. This lunch you speak of. <laughs> um, <laughs> we've got a long, we've got a long way to go. We've got a very long way to go. Um, it's it. Yeah. It's a little disheartening. It's one of those things where you watch it now and you go like, Oh, look, it's still relatable. And then you mm-hmm. cry. Because it's still relatable. (laughs) All right. We got one uh, little more quick nugget, and then we'll jump into the box office uh, a little bit more upbeat on the podcast. So uh, (laughs) months before the the debut of the film, pop star Sheena Easton released a song titled 9 to 5 in the Uh United Kingdom. By the time the song made its way to America, its title had been changed to Morning Train with 9 to 5 in parentheses in order to avoid any confusion with Dolly Parton's song. Or come to find out, the song was Sheena Easton's biggest hit. So, hmm. 
Oh, I've never heard of it. I was say, no oh, clue. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bless uh, her heart. Yeah, I remember it. it. It was a pretty big song back then. But, it, you know, once again, 1980, so. Uh, Wasn't born yet. Yeah, I was going to say, it's way before you guys' time. So Not mine. 1980 well, not was before you were born, and 1980 too. was before my time. But I was going to say, yeah. All right, box office and critical reception. So 9 to 5 was released in the U.S. on December 19th, 1980. I never thought of this as being like a, a Christmas, Christmas movie. movie released for Christmas. <gasps> Yay, we get so. to watch it at Christmas time. That and Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. Awesome. <laughs> what a double feature for the holidays. <laughs> it debuted in second place behind the Clint Eastwood movie Any Which Way You Can. The workplace comedy was still a hit with audiences, earning more than $100 million at the box office, a grand total that made it the second biggest hit of 1980. The only movie to make more money in 1980 was Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back. I was going to say it was going to be a Star War. <laughs> but look, even coming, I mean, coming out in December and it yeah. didn't run but for like 9 or, you know, 9 or 11 weeks, that that made a lot of money in a short amount of time right. uh, for 1980, so. Yeah, but you said it placed second behind any which way you can for that week. Yeah, for the opening uh. week. That's the orangutan movie. Yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but Clint Eastwood was, I mean, that was in his, you know, definitely in his prime. So he was. Yeah, the but box that's the orangutan drawing. movie. <laughs> okay, but even wait, wait, wait. now, the, he, if Clint Eastwood is But he made two of movie. those. Yeah. He had Any Which Way You Can and Any Which Way But Loose. Yeah. There were two of them. So It's still maybe an orangutan movie. Maybe they thought it was a sequel. <laughs> So, yeah, I didn't look to see where that fell on the year for the year. So it might have had a good opening weekend and then it tanked after that. All right. Well, Rotten Tomatoes has nine to five at 82 percent on the tomato meter with a 74 percent audience score. And IMDb has it at six point nine out of ten with a 58 on Metacritic, which I I, 58 is way too low. That's not accurate. So where would you guys put it in the 70, 80 range? Yeah, yeah 85. I would probably rank it 85. Yeah. Just a good middle, a solid B. Yeah. I think it shows its age now. I mean, definitely some things that are, you know, the, the, the time clocks back then were, I mean, I've actually used a time clock like that, but it's been a long time since I've had one of those. In college. So, yeah. Ever have. Just so young. Uh, <laughs> I like we said, the one, the one scene with the, the dead body ran a little bit long. So yeah. yeah. It falls in like the high seventies for me, you know, but B B minus probably. It's definitely enjoyable. It's one that I would I, I would still enjoy to watch in a couple of years. Yeah. Of course, with its box office success and popularity among its viewers, it's not a surprise that the studio wanted to develop a sequel. For years, the proposed follow-up was on the table. They tried for a long time for a sequel. Uh, Tomlin told Buzzworthy in 2012, there were two or three scripts, but they weren't what they wanted. In the interview with Rolling Stone, Resnick, the original screenwriter, said. People would love to see the three of them together again. For years, there was talk of a sequel or a remake, but as Dolly always says, it's nine to five, not 95. Doing a <laughs> remake with them, that ship has probably sailed. Well, maybe maybe Dolly can do a little guest run on Grace and Frankie. Yeah. Are they still doing I think they've talked. Yeah. What's that? I was just curious. Are they still doing episodes of Grace and Frankie? I think so. I don't know. If, yeah, but that's what I know I it was coming to is, an end. But yeah. yeah, I think they were trying to work that out for a while. But yeah, I think they were trying to work it out to have her a guest on there, but it didn't work. They did come together for some Screen Actors Guild a couple of years ago. They just had such great chemistry between exactly. the three of them. And they've remained, and you they've remained you good friends over the years, too. 
you wouldn't yeah. imagine that they would have great chemistry. I mean, especially <laughs> Dolly Parton and the other two, just mm-hmm. based on like surface level appearance, you wouldn't think they, but yeah, they just are adorable together. All three of them. All right. So it wasn't anywhere as successful as the film version, but nine to five was adapted into a TV sitcom, which ran for six seasons from 1982 to 1988. I think the first two seasons Six were on seasons? A- Yeah. Well, the first oh. two were on like ABC and the, then it, it got canceled and then a syndication picked up and did, a, uh, did it for a couple. None of the original cast was on it, but Parton's sister played the role of Dora Lee. After nearly 30 years, the film was adapted again, but this time into a Broadway musical songs written by Dolly Parton. Oh, it's a musical? (laughs) (laughs) I think you guys knew that already. So any, I mean, we don't have a whole lot. I mean, I'm not trying to extend the show too long, but any major differences between the musical and the film that stand out? They sing. Yeah, they sing. Well, that, I mean, Uh, that part. (laughs) Honestly, it's almost... Other well, than the Judy's, epi- Judy's fantasy is slightly different. Yes. Judy has like a a noir. It, it's like a tango dance mm-hmm. is her sequence. Um, that's really the yeah, biggest. That's And again, they're, they're the Miss Hart not being the one who yeah. discovers Hart. Uh, mm-hmm. The whole thing with uh, Judy and um, when her husband arrives that's a goes right into violet has a love interest yeah violet has a love interest okay gotcha in the in there so did they do were so were you chained up like mr hart for your scenes did they have you with a dog collar and everything not with a dog not no dog collar or chains but we they did (laughs) they they did have me in a harness uh to pull me up into the air Mm -hmm. uh for for those moments um so i was uh tied to the ceiling Mm -hmm. i guess you would say um but no no chains or any type of restraints more than just the harness was all they did for me gotcha i will say still the one the one little scene that does make me laugh every time and it's at the end when they're doing the epilogue is when it shows mr hart watching tv Mm -hmm. and he thinks he's turning the the tv channel and he clicks the button that sends him back up yeah. I thought that was a great that was a great scene to end in the movie the credits. A good movie. Check out on Golden Pond. Um, <laughs> that's what we've been talking about this whole time, right? <laughs> this was a you know it's a backdoor episode about on we drew you in with nine to five to only talk about on Golden Pond. You're welcome. Surprise, next week's episode is no, I'm just kidding. On Golden Pond. No. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there you want to take a minute and tell everybody about the Moving Panels podcast that you host? Sure. Uh, we'll just throw it out real quick. Uh, I've got my own podcast, uh, Moving Panels, where we talk about movies and TV shows that are based on comic books uh, or just the superheroes from comic books. Some of them not necessarily from the comic, the pages themselves, but using the characters. Uh, and I've had Tim on, got him upcoming for a few of what we call the one-shots. Uh, mm-hmm. To have some discussions. Uh, looking forward to have them for a full, um, full movie review uh, to come in the future. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for being a part of this episode. I look forward to the next time. I know I have Laramie on uh, by himself. We've got one scheduled with Bethany by herself coming up, so it's gonna be fun. You get season. two guesses to figure out which one it is. <laughs> it's not on on Bond, but we did mention we did mention the film in the in this episode. So the trivia, uh, send your guesses to our email. No. All right, <laughs> thanks you guys for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.
Thanks again for listening to this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. If you'd like to continue the conversation, we have a few ways for you to do just that. One way is to send us an email to movieviewspodcast at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voice message through the Anchor app. You can find the link to leave a voice message in our episode show notes. If you do leave us a message, we may just use it in an upcoming mini-episode. Another way to reach us is through the new 80s Flick Flashback Podcast Facebook page, as well as our Movie Views Instagram. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, be sure to give us a five-star rating, leave us a stellar written review, and go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you won't miss any of our upcoming episodes. No matter which podcasting platform you're listening to us on, be sure to read the episode show notes to find more fun facts and behind-the-scenes trivia we just weren't able to fit into this episode. That's all for now. Join us again next time for another 80s Flick Flashback. <laughs>